I am so thankful that we have this experience, this atmosphere, um, this time where we can just come and just be ourselves in front of the Lord today. You know, we're not putting on any airs here. Uh, We really aren't. We are just people that love Jesus and trying to show him how much we love him by being obedient. Amen? And I really appreciate the authenticity. I appreciate the worship. I appreciate the heart of Tom and Jackie and the worship team and all the leadership here, uh, uh, Pastor Tyler and Hannah and what they're doing. And uh, it's just a, a special place to be. And I'm so thankful that we have the time to be here. I want to continue to speak on the Holy Spirit today, and uh, we've been a few weeks off because of different things, but uh, I want to talk today about the Holy Spirit as the giver of knowledge and wisdom. And I want to talk about how it's his desire to interact with us today. He wants to share God's mind with you. Do you know that? The Holy Spirit's role is to uh, make you aware of the things that God knows the things that God has in store, the knowledge that God has, and also the wisdom and how we apply that knowledge. He is the giver of knowledge and the giver of wisdom. There are so many things, amazing things of this world. I mean, I, I love to think about the nature channels and the things that I love to watch TV when it's on those kind of programs because we live in an amazing world. Do you know that? I mean, nature is absolutely amazing. The way God has just orchestrated it all and designed it all and put it all together and how things work together is just so beyond our ability to understand it, and it's so interesting. And God made us in his own image, in meaning that he's given us the ability to try to, uh, to, to, try to understand things that are beyond us. He's made us inquisitive. He's given us a curiosity. He's given us an eagerness to learn and to explore. That's why we want to go to the moon. That's why we have people searching the depths of the ocean that we haven't even begun to tap yet. That's why we have explorers. That's why we have an exploring attitude so many times, and we have desires to learn, and that's good. The reality is, the more I know, the more I know I don't know. I don't know about you, but man, when I, the more I delve into a subject, the more I realize that I am just at the very outer level of that onion skin. <laughs> I'm just peeling one layer off at a time. And, and it's interesting to know that God has so much more to show us. And uh, even when we think we have mastered a subject, there's just so much more. Now on a sadder note on that, and the other side of that note, is that when we have that eagerness to learn and desire, if we're not careful in who we go to the source of our information, we can find ourselves getting off in the weeds very quickly. This world has all kinds of worldly knowledge and worldly wisdom that I will tell you right now that it's demonically inspired because it is out to deceive and destroy and bring great delusion, especially as we get into the end times. And I am convinced more and more that we are in the end times. I know you've heard it like I've heard it for all my life, that the rapture is near. Be ready, the rapture is near. Well, I've been hearing it now for 61 years old that I can remember probably 50 of those years. And I will tell you that it's 50 years nearer than it was when I heard it. So it's true. 
There's nothing false about that statement. The rapture is near. The coming of the Lord is near. The blessed hope is near. And let me just tell you that I guarantee you that you will see the rapture. But it may be of your own death. I'm not saying you're going to see the corporate rapture. But if you live long enough, you're going to die. Think about that one. If you live long enough, you're going to die. And at that moment, it is your rapture. So I guarantee you, you will see the rapture. Do you know when that day is? No. I don't know when my day is, but I want to live like it could be today. I want to live like it could be tomorrow. I want to live my life expecting the rapture of the church or the rapture of my soul. It doesn't make any difference to me which one it is. I just want to live like it could be right now. And I want to live with that anticipation in my heart. And I want to live with that knowledge that it could happen. And I want to live with the wisdom that the Holy Spirit would give me to know how to live. Why I say that the world has demonically inspired wisdom and knowledge is because the devil wants you to think differently about that. He doesn't want you to consider the end of things. He doesn't want you to consider what it means to have a blessed hope or the rapture or your death. He wants you to think about things in the worldly tense that life is grand, life is good, and you're immortal. And he brings lots of delusion and he brings lots of deception. It's all part of Satan's plan to deceive and destroy. And if you don't believe that, just look around a little bit. Look around at our society a little bit. Look around at our political strategy, our political structure. Look around at the world. Look around at the different countries. I, I am totally amazed at how we can have such division in America when it comes to our politics. I am so amazed that the, the, the enemy has done such a good job messing people's minds up to think that right is wrong and wrong is right. I mean, I don't want to make this a political speech, but I do want to make sure you know where I stand. I know God is not a Republican nor a Democrat, but God is on the side of righteousness. When I look at a, one of the front runners in one of the parties, and I'll let you determine which party it is, that is an open homosexual, and he's got a ring on his finger that he's married to his partner, and he is a front runner in the presidential race, that's got to tell you how deluded we are. Something is wrong with our thinking that we will accept that as being moderate because that's what he's claiming to be. He's not a progressive. No, he's moderate. And people are accepting that. I'm sorry, folks, that's not right. That goes directly against Scripture when we recognize the fact that we can have that and we can think it's okay. That's how deluded this world is. And that's how, that's how confused that it is. And I know, that it, I know that some people are very concerned about that and some people are very offended by that. But I just want to know what side of the truth I stand on. Our society is accepting open sin and the rejection of God's holy commands and they're making them good and they're making them worthwhile. And the devil is loving it because he's making right wrong and wrong right. And that is a sign of the times that we're living in. 
So look up, because our redemption draweth nigh. It's time for us to be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Or some translations say, as innocent as doves. Uh, we're to be innocent of the guiltiness of the world. We're to be innocent of the, of the transgressions of the world. And that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to dwell with us and to lead us into the eternal things that we need to know, that we would understand and apply in our lives as we journey through this life, as amazing as, amazing as it is that we're journeying through life with godly wisdom, godly knowledge, and how to apply it all. So the roles of the Holy Spirit, number one we talked about a few weeks ago, to lead us to Jesus and to make us more like him. To lead us to Jesus and to make us more like Christ. That's one of the main roles, if not the main role, of the Holy Spirit. Another role that he has is to be the giver of knowledge and the wisdom to apply it. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is God's knowledge that he gives us and the wisdom on how to apply the knowledge. Paul describes one of the roles in the Holy Spirit when he was speaking to the church in Corinth as the giver of knowledge and wisdom. And he establishes establishes himself here in this passage that we're going to read in a minute, that he comes to the Corinthians by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he wants them to see the Holy Spirit, not Paul. Let's read this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the first five verses. The New Living Translation says it this way. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we look at this passage and as we look at God's word, I pray that you give us the ability to discern right from wrong. I pray, Father, that we would allow and invite the Holy Spirit into our lives to give us knowledge and then wisdom on how to apply that knowledge in love, the way that you love us. God, I pray you protect us from the delusions of this world and that you give us true heavenly wisdom and heavenly knowledge in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, knowledge is good. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying because Scripture tells us that we are to grow in knowledge. We just have to make sure we're growing in the right kind of knowledge. Second Peter verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 18 Peter says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the Colossians in the first chapter of Colossians, verse 9. He says, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. So knowledge is good. We're to seek knowledge. But why does Paul say it this way? If we continue on reading in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, it says then that this knowledge that the Lord gives us of his will, it's for this reason, 
then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. So we, we ask for knowledge of God's will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Our knowledge is, to, is so that we can then be a better servant of Christ. Our knowledge is that we can know more about what the Bible says so I know how to live for him, that I can honor him, that I can please him in everything I do so that I don't have pockets in my life that are displeasing to the Lord, that I don't have segments of my life where I hold these off, where I can live for myself over here that would dishonor the Lord, that the knowledge that I have that he would give me would be so that I could walk in a manner that is worthy. I can walk in a manner that pleases him in every area of my life. Now, do you know what that means? Do you have areas in your life maybe that you're keeping away from the Lord? Do you have areas that maybe you're not so proud of? Maybe areas that you hold your little secret life in over here and you think, God, I, I want to live this part of my life and I really don't want you to know about it, so I don't really want you to know because I want to do things that please me. Can I say that when we're doing that, we're starting, to world, we're starting to get involved with worldly wisdom and worldly knowledge because the world says you could do that. The world says, that's fine. Everybody's got their little, their little pockets. Everybody, the world's, everybody's got their little personality traits or little things that they like to do that are okay. Well, can I tell you that that's not right? That's not, that's not godly knowledge? But even with all the godly knowledge he gives us, knowledge is not enough because it must, be, it must be applied. Knowledge must be applied, and that's where the wisdom comes in. Knowledge can be misused, it can be misapplied, and it can result in us missing the mark of what God wanted us to use it for. Knowledge can result in a building up of pride. Look at me. Look how smart I am. Look how much knowledge I have. Look how much knowledge of the word I have. See, it can be in a, even of good things. I can memorize all the scriptures and I can just rattle memories off to you and I can say, boy, aren't you impressed with how much I know? I mean, it's easy to go that way if we're not careful. What makes wisdom, what makes wisdom so important for us is that wisdom operates with love as the basis for application. And when I have love as my basis for application, then it's not about me anymore. The bottom line is this, is if we learn everything possible about God's word and have all the knowledge that it gives without having a dependence on the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and how to apply it, we are nothing to God and we can be dangerous to men. Knowledge misapplied can result in pride for me and destruction for you because I can lead you down the wrong path in my prideful knowledge if I'm not dependent on the Holy Spirit to give me the wisdom on how to apply what the Lord is sharing with us. Does that make sense? We have to be very careful that we're making sure that we're using spiritual wisdom and spiritual revelation in the knowledge that we have so that we're allowing God to speak, that we're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through us and what the Holy Spirit wants you to know, wants me to know, and to encourage us in that. 
But love is the key. Love is the key to all this because I can speak with great authority and have not have love and I can be nothing more than a clanging gong. Paul talked that, he, he told us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The first three verses in chapter 13, Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, Paul is not discounting speaking in tongues. He's not discounting the Pentecostal experience that we have at all. And he's not discounting knowledge. He's not discounting faith. He's not discounting being generous to all. He's not discounting all that because all of that is very important. But the most important thing is love. Because knowledge on itself will puff us up, whereas love will build us up. Let me give you a couple examples of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, in the New Living Translation. I'm going, to show, I'm going to read this to you in two different translations because each one brings a little different insight out. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the first three verses. Yes, we know that we have all knowledge about this issue. The issue that you're talking about here is eating food, meat that was sacrificed to idols. Because remember, at this point in time in the church, a lot of people were sacrificing food to false gods. And so the Christians now are dealing with this meat that was brought in that was sacrificed to an idol. Can they eat it or not eat it? Big deal for them. Not a big deal for us today, but a big deal for them. So this is how Paul was answering the question. Yes, we know that. We, have, we all have knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. <laughs> but the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. The Living Translation says the same, about the same verse. It says, next is your question about eating food that has been sacrificed to idols. On this question, everyone feels that only his answer is the right one. But although being a know-it-all makes us feel important, what is really needed to build the church is love. If anyone thinks he knows all the answers, he is just showing his ignorance. But the person who truly loves God is the one who is open to God's knowledge. Now, it's so interesting to me that God... As much as he's about knowledge, he's so much more than just knowledge. He's more than facts, and he's more than figures. He's so much more than all of that, even though that's important. He's not so concerned about how smart we are. He's concerned about our heart. He's concerned about where your heart is. The wisest man in the world is not that impressive to God. Can I just tell you that? The smartest man in the world is not that impressive to God. God is more concerned with the heart of a man than he is with the head of a man. And what I mean by this is that God desires the willingness for every man to give up everything that he has as his head. <laughs> everything that he stored up there, give it up, get it down into his heart, into a relationship with Jesus, and now you're talking something that's pleasing the Lord. So the Holy Spirit focuses his efforts and his attentions in the heart of men. He does everything he can to help us to move the knowledge about Jesus 
the knowledge about God into a relationship with Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Does that make sense? Are we tracking here? That yes, knowledge is important. It's important that you understand Bible. It's important that you understand Scripture. You don't have to understand it all at one time. In fact, we were talking about it today in our fundamentals class. I was talking to, uh, to Greg and Kim. And, and yes, this can be intimidating. It's a big book. This is a big book. The example that I gave them when I was in college, when I was getting ready for my engineering school, and I would go to the first, first day of classes, and Chris and I just got married, and I went up to, up to transfer up to Michigan Tech, and uh, I, I get overwhelmed with things relatively easily. Just so you know, I'm not a detail guy, and details can kind of overwhelm me. And um, so I would go to class, and the, the professors would give us the syllabus, and he would talk about, okay, we're going to have this lab, this lab, do that lab, these tests, uh, these work, homeworks are going to be expected to turn in, we're going to have this many exams, all this other stuff. And, and I would go through three or four classes like that a week, and I would come back, and I was just overwhelmed by it. I'm saying, Chris, I can't do this. <laughs> this is beyond me. And, uh, and she was wise. And then she says, Mike, you're going to do that over 10 weeks. That doesn't happen in one day. And just take it one day at a time, and you'll, you'll get through it. What a, a word of wisdom was for me for that. And that's the same way that I would look at, have you look at this Bible. You don't eat this in one day. The old story is, the old adage, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you get God's word into your heart? One verse at a time. One concept at a time. One precept at a time. Don't let the devil tell you because you don't know enough you're not qualified to learn more. Yes, you are. The knowledge in this book is important when it becomes wisdom the Holy Spirit reveals into your life. And then all of a sudden it becomes revelation knowledge, revelation wisdom, and all of a sudden the light bulbs start going on. Boom, bang, boom, bang. And all of a sudden you're starting to see, oh, this is pretty cool. And when that starts to happen, you're going to have an appetite for more. But until you get into it and start... You're overwhelmed by it. So just let me encourage you to start walking down the path of seeking God's knowledge, and then he will bring the wisdom on how it applies. Don't be, impre- don't, be, uh, don't be ashamed of how much you don't know, because none of us know it all. Believe me, there's a lot of things I have no idea. And I'll just be honest with you. If you ask me a question that I don't know, my answer is I don't know. But let's go find it. That's the best way I know how to do it. The knowledge is important without a doubt, but it's how the knowledge is used that's really the important thing. That's why knowledge puffs the person up. It makes them feel really important. But what really matters to God is not the fact that I have great knowledge. It's rather how I'm choosing to apply it and then use the knowledge to gain a greater reward because I'm honoring God in how I use that knowledge. Like I said before, God isn't impressed with the fact that I can learn something because he's the one that's given me the mind to do it. Think about it. God is the one that's given us our brains, pretty amazing little gray matter up there that can hold storage data and memories and pictures and facts and figures and formulas, all pretty amazing, but God's the one that gave it to us. So for the fact that I can fill it up, God's not too impressed. But what he's impressed with is how I use it. And when I choose to use the knowledge with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that honors him and pleases him, 
now I've got his attention. Because now I'm using my will, my free will, to honor him by applying the knowledge according to his wisdom in love. And that is impressive. That's why King Solomon was greater than any man that ever lived because when God asked King Solomon what he wanted, Solomon said, as a young boy, he said, just give me wisdom. He wasn't asking long life. He wasn't asking to be wealthy. He said, just give me wisdom so that I know how to govern your people. Now, in Solomon's early years, that's was, that was pure in his heart, and God saw that, and God said, okay, I will make you not, not only make you wise, but I will make you the richest man that ever lived. And when you look, at the book, look in the book of Ecclesiastes and see Solomon's life, he was just that and more. But I want to read something here, because even with all that, Solomon saw at the end of his life that if we don't use godly wisdom and godly knowledge for the right things, it's all meaningless, and it's a waste. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, reading verse 18, and then 21 through 25. It says this, it says, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. And then verse 21, some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him. This, too, is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Do you see Solomon's plight here at all? That no matter what we gain, if we don't have it in the right context, if we're not truly appreciating that what we have, what we've accomplished, is at the hand of God, and it's all about serving him, then it's all meaningless, a chasing after the wind, because the day I die, it goes to whoever I follow in me. It's a, my inheritance. It all stays here. I don't take it with me. So with that, then, what is the role of the Holy Spirit when it comes to the, being the giver of wisdom and pleasing God? What, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit's role is to help us discern the really important things of this world and help us to avoid the trivial, distracting things that would distract us and take us away from the things that would lead us to God. We need the Holy Spirit's wisdom to understand that we need to focus in on the things that truly are eternal and spiritual and leave the earthly things away. Don't play with them. Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 6 and 8 through 8, he says, when I, am with, when I am among mature Christians, I speak with words of great wisdom, but not the kind that comes from here on earth and not the kind that appeals to the great men of this world who are doomed to fail. Our words are wise because they are from God, telling of God's wise plan to bring us into the glories of heaven. This plan was hidden in former times, though it was made for our benefit before the world began. But the great men of the world have not understood it. If they had, they would never have crucified 
the Lord of glory. So interesting here. This passage is so interesting because Paul understands his audience. There are times when Paul comes and he speaks a plain message, very simple, because he wants to make sure that people are seeing the Holy Spirit. And then there are times when Paul talks with more mature people and he gives great words of wisdom, but it's not worldly wisdom. It's spiritual wisdom. It's the kind that would take us into a spiritual dimension, that we would recognize that our days in this life are numbered and that God has an eternity in store for us. And we need to be living and working to satisfy that requirement, not the temporary. And when we have those kind of words of wisdom, that kind of encouragement, that kind of rebuke sometimes, or discipline in our life, that's the powerful kind that the Holy Spirit can, can, can grow and can um, multiply in our lives. We can apply this today. Paul said that if the Jewish leaders of that day would have truly grasped the truths of who Jesus was, they would never have crucified him as a criminal. Think of that. The Jewish leaders of the day missed it. Jesus was right there before them. They had access to all the scriptures of the Old Testament, all the prophecies of the Old Testament that would declare that Jesus was the Messiah. And they missed it. And they crucified him as a criminal. So how can, we, how can we apply that in our lives today? Very simply, we have the same decision to make about Jesus as they did. What are we doing with Jesus? They missed it. They missed him as the Messiah. And there are so many people in this world that are also missing Jesus as the Messiah. They're seeing him as one way possibly to heaven, one way to God, one way, one, one idea. And they have so many other, they have a plethora of other options and choices. They're missing it. The question for you and I today is what are we doing with Jesus? Are we going to accept him as the true son of God into our lives? And are we going to allow him to be the savior and the owner of our lives? Or, or are we going to crucify him again with our rejection of him. If I reject Jesus, I'm actually crucifying him all over again. If I'm rejecting his salvation, I'm saying it's worthless. The role of the Holy Spirit is to open up our unspiritual mind and help us to see our need to accept Jesus for who he is, and then, rather than crucifying him again, we crucify our flesh on the cross. That wooden cross right there, instead of putting Jesus up there because of my rejection of him, the Holy Spirit gives me knowledge and wisdom of my sin, and then I willingly crawl up on the cross. And I put my flesh on the cross. And I nail my flesh on the cross because of his salvation because of his forgiveness. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I don't allow him to give me that wisdom, I'm just as guilty as the, as the priests that were the ones that actually nailed Christ to the cross. I'm doing the same thing to him when I, if I, by rejecting him. The Holy Spirit is here to open our minds and to lead us to Jesus so that we don't miss the mark. Is that making sense? There's a worldly wisdom that will lead many to destruction. And we need to be ever watchful that we aren't following the popular crowds.
because they th- we think that the majority is right. I'm telling you, this is a big deal today, folks. You may not think about it sitting in church today, but you go out and you listen to the news media, you listen to the, again, I go back to the political world, you look at the majority, where is the majority taking us? Just because there's a, because a popular idea, it doesn't mean it's right. So be wise. Be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove that you need to understand where it's taken us. The Bible says in chap, Matthew chapter 7, it says in verse 13, Enter through that narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, in fact, some translations say most, enter through that. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So don't be surprised if you're not part of the majority, if you're following Jesus, truly, if your heart is centered on Christ, and if you are allowing the Holy Spirit to direct your paths every day, and if you are living a life that is pleasing to him in every way, and you are rejecting the majority of the world, don't be surprised when you're alone. Don't be surprised when there's not many following you or there's not many along your path of life. Because the Bible tells you right there, many, if not most, are on the wide road that lead to destruction. And only a few are on the narrow road that leads to life. How much more do we need to define it? How much more do we need to have that settle into our hearts? Just think about that a little bit. Just because the majority is saying, go this direction, If it's not the right direction, don't go there. And how do you know? Because the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. It gives us conviction to say, no, don't do that. No, go the narrow way. You might be alone, but that's okay. Finally, James gives us, in James chapter 3, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Did you hear that? Who is wise? Let them show it by their what life? By their good life. By deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Then verse 14, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's how we started off today, saying that the worldly wisdom is demonic, and that's leading us down a path of destruction. Verse 16, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Can't we just see that all in the world today? Can we not see the evil of the world for those that have been led by by selfish ambitions and envy? Verse 17, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. This is a good litmus test for us today. How do you know which kind of wisdom you're basing your life on? Is your life full of bitter envy and selfish ambition? Are you out to get all you can get for you and really don't care about the guy next to you on the job? Uh, Do you have a lot of stress in your life? 
a lot of problems going on in your life? I'm just saying, the Bible says, check your heart. Check your heart. Maybe there's some things in your life that maybe you're not on that narrow road. Maybe you're on a road that's chasing things of this worldly wisdom. And when you do that, you're going to have lots of turmoil and uh, find disorder and evil practices. Now, I'm not saying, don't hear, hear me right, I'm not saying that if you give your life to Jesus, life's going to be good. I'm not telling you that either because you're going to have the devil come against you too and you're going to have stress and strife there too, but you're going to have a hope there. You're going, to have, you're, you're going to know that you're doing it for the right reasons and you're going to have an eternal reward thereafter. But we should be peace-loving people. We should be considerate. We should be submissive. We should be full of mercy and we should be impartial and sincere. We should be lovers of the goodness of God's word. So what type of wisdom do you see in your life? Jackie, would you come please? So where are we today? Where are we as a church? Where are we as a person? Where are we in our life, in our home, in our job? Are we in a place where we're secure in our relationship because we've asked God to forgive us a few years ago? Or are we truly searching our heart every day? Is there a possibility that maybe some sin might have crept back into your life and maybe the Holy Spirit is dealing with you in some areas? I, I, can I just be honest with you? He deals with me every day. I mean, it's, a, it's an everyday struggle, guys. It, it's, not, it's not a once I'm saved, I'd have no more problems. There's an everyday struggle with where am I at? What am I doing? I need to be constantly going back to the, God, to the Word of God and saying, God, Help me here. Give me wisdom. Give me direction. Give me conviction. I want holy conviction. I want the conviction that leads me in the path of righteousness. Why am I asking these questions? Because this world brings many distractions that would weaken our resolve, take away from our relationship if we're not carefully guarding it. Guarding our hearts by allowing the Holy Spirit to check us. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I am just asking you to forgive me this morning, afresh and anew today, of anything that's in my heart and mind that is not right of you. God, I submit my life to you, and I believe many others in this building are praying the same prayer, that we are doing this out of all reverence, knowing that you are worthy. Nothing in my life can I hold back from you. And I just give it to you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Just, Jackie, lead us in a song. Let's just worship Praise him for a minute. Lord, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you in all I do. I honor you. Now let me encourage you this week. I pray that messages like this would create an appetite for you that create a little bit of a hunger for you to say, I want more. 
I want more than what I could get in a 40-minute sermon on a Sunday morning. I want to dig into God's Word myself. And I want to encourage you to do that, to read the Bible, to get a good devotional, to come to Bible study on Wednesdays, or to get with your spouse or a, a brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, let's open the Word together and let's study together about what God's Word is and let it create a hunger for you that would give you a true understanding of God's knowledge and His wisdom. Amen? Be hungry today. Don't be satisfied with what little bit you have, but be hungry for the Word of God and let it soak into your life and just permeate through you. Amen? I pray blessings for you today in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. Bless this church. Bless each person here. God, give them a hunger for you. Give them a hunger for more of your Word that we would seek after you, Holy Spirit, that, that, is, that you would just give us a desire to know you better and to grow in your grace and your wisdom and in your love. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed. Be blessed and be encouraged.